Lord, we praise you that you are a great God. Lord, your word tells us that you're the high and lofty one, the holy one who inhabits eternity. And God, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves in light of that, to surrender to you, to trust you. God, we thank you that you are not only great, but that you're good and that you love us and that you're kind and patient and merciful, so much so that you sent your son to die for us. So Jesus, we praise you for your sacrifice. We praise you that you defeated death, that you're alive today. And Lord, I pray that just the resurrection power of Christ would work in our lives to transform us, to call us to you, and to cause us to live on the mission that Jesus has given us. So Lord, help us to to hear from you today and respond to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a seat. Again, uh, welcome. And uh, we are finishing up a little series uh, that we called Reset. And today we're going to talk about refocusing on uh, our our mission, uh, the mission that Jesus has given us. And like I said, next week, plan on starting to walk through the book of Philippians. It's kind of interesting timing, maybe. Uh, It's kind of accidental, but maybe uh, good uh, to talk about our mission in a a sense, because it was actually 19 years ago today that my family, which would not have included Lily at that time, uh, actually moved back here to begin the process of uh, planning True Life. And so August the 8th, 2002 is when that happened, and actually you may not want to know this, but uh, August the 8th is a really big date in our history because August the 8th, 1989 was the day that Robin and I actually had our first date, and uh, so uh, yeah, that's how I feel about it too. I don't know who, <laughs> who did that, but she's awesome, so uh, I- I'm blessed. Um, we actually played putt-putt on our first date, and both of us made hole-in-ones on the 18th hole and got these little free game coupons, so it must have meant, been meant to be. So, um, All right, so let's talk about refocusing on our mission, and uh, start with this. You know, the Olympics are going on uh, right now, and uh, so in the 2004 Olympics, there was a man by the name of Matt Emmons that looked like he was about to win a gold medal in one of the the shooting events. Uh, One of the shooting events is something called the uh, 50-meter three-position rifle event. And so, like, going into the last shot, he was in the lead. He actually had a sizable lead. He didn't need a bullseye to win. Basically, he just needed to hit the target, and he was going to win. You know, didn't need any kind of big score. And uh, he hit the target, and he hit the target in a way where uh, normally his score would have been 8.1, which was way more than what he needed to win, there was only one problem. He did something that was described as an extremely rare mistake in elite competition, and he hit the target, but he hit the wrong target. He was in lane two, and for some unknown reason, He hit the target in lane three, and he hit the target. Like I said, he would have normally scored an 8.1 for where he hit the target, but he got a zero because it was the wrong target. And so instead of winning the gold medal, he finished in eighth place. And the moral of the story is, 
that it doesn't matter how accurate you are if you're aiming at the wrong target. Or, to kind of paraphrase that in a a spiritual sense, it, it doesn't matter how accurate we are if we're on the wrong mission. So as a church, if we have the wrong target, and we hit that target, but it's not the mission of Jesus, we're not really accomplishing anything. In our lives, if we do exactly what we want to do and what we think we should do, but it's not the mission of Jesus, what's it really matter if we're hitting the wrong target? We're wasting our lives. You see, our lives are going to be about something but is it going to be something worthwhile and lasting? Are are our lives going to be about what Jesus wants us to do, what he has called us to do? And so I want us to look in the book of Acts today, and we're going to look at at a variety of scriptures as we talk about the mission that Jesus has given us us, and how to live focused on uh, that mission. You know, one of the things I pray for us consistently as a church is that we would be a Book of Acts church, because the Book of Acts pictures how the early church lived out the great commission that Jesus gave them before he ascended back to heaven. You know, the Book of Acts is transitional, and so not everything, that we shouldn't do everything today exactly like they did it, but it really is a model uh, for us. And so uh, one time Billy Graham was in uh, a press conference and reporters were asking him questions. And of course, a, a lot of people, a lot of the press thought that he was uh, you know, way too conservative, way too uh, traditional, way too you know, fundamental and, and biblical in, in, in his message. And uh, uh, so a reporter said to him, uh, Mr. Graham, I think you're setting the church back hundreds of years. And he said, well, I'm hitting the wrong target then because I'm trying to set the church back all the way to the book of Acts. And I really do think that that is the right target, the right goal, the right mission for us. There's a famous, well-known church planning ministry in the United States, one of the most effective ones. It's called Acts 29. And the name comes from the fact that the book of Acts has 28 chapters in it. But in a sense, and, and, and don't take this the, the wrong way, you know, it's sin, obviously, to add to or take away from Scripture. You know, we have in the Bible the, the written Word of God uh, complete. But in a sense, uh, and this is where the name comes from, the book of Acts is still being written because God is still writing the history of the church today as he uh, works through his church to accomplish his mission in the world. And so there's a sense in which uh, today the church is the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. And the cool thing is we get to be a part of that. God is using us to fulfill, to accomplish his mission in the world. And so what does that look like? And so as, as we focus our attention and efforts on fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given us, I want to try this morning, and I made it through in a fairly reasonable amount of time, a little longer than usual, but fairly reasonable uh, in, in the first service. Uh, I want to try to show you 10 truths 
and I know that's too many for a message, but I want to try to show you 10 truths about the mission uh, that, that Jesus uh, ha- has given us. So hopefully you got a snack with you, but uh, our mission is given by the Lord Jesus himself. That, that's the first thing that I want us to see. Now, why, why does that matter? Well, is it not true that who tells you to do something affects how you respond to it? Right? Are there not some people who could tell you to do something and you'd be like, eh, whatever. You just pretty much ignore them. But there are other people who have the authority to tell you to do something where you kind of have to do it, or at least there's going to be repercussions if you don't do it. Right? If you're in the military and someone of a higher rank tells you to do something, you better do it because you could end up in prison if you don't do it. If you work for someone and they tell you to do something, at least if you want to continue to get a paycheck from that person, you should do what they tell you to do. Uh, Kids, you should do what your parents tell you to do because God has told you to do that, right? There's authority in our lives. And so sometimes when someone in authority over us tells us to do something, we're required to do it. Now, there's other people. It may not be because they're an authority over us, but because of what they mean in our lives. We want to do what they tell us to do. Right? You know, some people like some people just motivate. You ever had a coach that you like run through a brick wall uh, for that coach, that, that kind of person? Somebody just motivates you. And, and the reason I say this is very simply because if you're a Christian, Jesus is both of those in your life. He's the Lord Jesus, and as our Lord, He's the authority over us. He's our boss, our ruler, our master. We're we're his servant. We're his slave. He has every right to tell us what to do, and we have all the responsibility to obey what he tells us to do. But even beyond that, because he's Jesus, our Savior, the one who died for us, the one who rose from the dead. I mean, that was what was propelled his early followers out into the streets and ultimately many of them to their deaths with this message was because they had seen him risen from the dead. Because of who he is, he has the authority to tell us what to do with our lives, how to, what to do in church, how to conduct ourselves. Our mission comes from the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, look at what it says in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so he's like, you know, go wait on the Holy Spirit to, to come. But it says, when they come together, they ask him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And basically, they're, they're wanting to have a prophecy conference. They're wanting uh, you know, something political to happen where they're not under Roman rule anymore. But Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but... You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the ends of uh, the earth. So Jesus gave us this mission. You know, in in church uh, a lot, we talk about the Great Commission, and we're going to read that passage in, in just a minute. But do you understand this mission that Jesus gave us? 
It's not just in Matthew chapter 28. It's in Mark chapter 16. It's in Luke chapter 24. It's in John chapter 17. And it's here in Acts chapter 1. The wording's not exactly the same, but the gist of it is the same, is go and make disciples of all the nations. And so this mission came from Jesus himself. So the mission for our lives is given by Jesus, our commander-in-chief. He's not just our commander-in-chief, but the one who died so that we could have a relationship with him. But what is that mission? Well, that's the second truth that I want us to see here, is that our, our, our mission is to be witnesses to Jesus and to make disciples of all uh, the nations. Again, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and if there's something I could point out to you about this verse, it's this. I think a lot of times when we think of this mission, when we think of this great commission that Jesus has given us, I think sometimes in our minds the way we read this is Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. That's kind of how we think of it. Like we reach our community, and then we reach outside of our community a little bit, and then we go farther than that, and then we go farther than that. But is that what it says? It's not what it says. It's not something that's consecutive. It's actually something that's designed to be simultaneous. That's how it reads. And so this is the Matthew version of it that we're so uh, familiar with. And the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed uh, for them. And this was after his resurrection. He was like, meet me here. And it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So in other words, some actually believed that he was risen from the dead and they worshipped him. Others still, uh, you know, did not believe yet. And so Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. And the therefore connects to this saying, that it, what he said, that all authority has been given to me. So the idea is, if we want to function in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ, it comes not from living on our own mission, doing what we want to do with our lives, but it comes from living on mission with Jesus, doing what he's called us to do. Listen, he, a lot of times we pray, God bless this or that, but really what we ought to pray is, God, help me to do what you're blessing. And this is what God's going to bless is when we go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So in other words, when we're going uh, and, and we're baptizing, we're teaching with the end result of making uh, d disciples. And as we do this, we're doing that in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. His presence is with us. He's going to empower us and use us as we do that. Are we about what he's about? And understand, this is, what, this is the assignment, so to speak. This is the mission. This is the calling that he gave the church, which means he gave it to every Christian. You see, something I, I believe with all my heart, to use a phrase uh, that comes from a guy named Bob Roberts, is that the church is the missionary. That doesn't mean there's not a place for denominations or mission organizations, but we are the missionary. 
the church of Jesus Christ. In other words, if, if a missionary would be somebody who's on a mission, right? And if Jesus gave this mission to all of us, and the way he said it, the, the John version of the Great Commission, John chapter 17, was as the Father has sent me, which literally means as the Father has sent me on a mission, now I send you. Meaning, if Jesus came as a missionary and he's sending us, we're now sent as missionaries. So, if you're a Christian today and, and, and you're hearing this, consider yourself officially commissioned as a missionary of Jesus Christ. Because that's really what the Bible teaches us. We are the missionary. Now, um, Ryan, could you go back to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and, and let's put that on the screen again. And I want you to look at this. And you know, I've said this before, but if you've not heard it, you just be technical for a second. If you, if you look at these verses in the Greek, it, it, it looks like uh, th- there's three or four verbs there. It looks like uh, go is a verb, makes di- make disciples is a verb, looks like baptizing them is a verb, looks like teaching them a- a- as a verb. But, it, but in Greek, there's actually only one verb, one imperative, one command there, and it's to make disciples. The other words are imperatives, uh, or I'm sorry, are participles modifying the imperative which that's technical mumbo-jumbo that just basically means that what you do is you make disciples. How you do it is by going and by baptizing and by teaching. And so, you know, what do we, what's our goal? What's the mission? What's Jesus calling us to do as a church? It's to make disciples, not just in Jefferson County, not just in Hamlin County, but to make disciples of all the nations. How do we do this? By going, which would imply evangelism, baptizing, which uh, you know, is how people make their public profession of faith in Christ and, and how they're uh, incorporated in, into the body of Christ, and then teaching them uh, to observe all things that I've commanded you. You say, you know, can I do that? You're commissioned as a missionary, remember? Every Christian can do this. If you're saved, you can tell somebody else how to be saved, right? You may not know, uh, you know all, all the ins and outs of it all, but I, I think about the story in John chapter 9 where Jesus healed a blind man, and, and the Pharisees were ticked off about it, and they were trying to get him to explain it. He didn't know how to explain it. He just got saved a few minutes ago. He didn't know any theology. He didn't know any technical terms, but here's what he said. This one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. And if you're saved, you can say, I was blind, but now I see. Jesus did it. You can, tell, you can say that to somebody. I mean, you say, well, how am I supposed to teach somebody else? Well, you've been a Christian for a few months. You can teach somebody that's been a Christian for a few weeks. You can share something you've learned, something you've read in the Bible. Anybody can do this with other people. Now, I think what it would also imply is that someone who is a Christian is someone who's respond, or someone who's a disciple is someone who's responded to the gospel been baptized as a public witness to their faith, not that baptism saves, but it is the outward expression. It is how we make our confession of faith in, in, in a biblical sense. Uh, not that baptism saves. We're saved the moment we repent of our sins and, and, and trust Jesus Christ. The moment we confess him as Lord, which you know doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect for the rest of our lives, but it means that we're acknowledging the authority of Christ over us and we're submitting to him and saying, Jesus, take control uh, of my life. And then you don't wait until you've got it all perfected and figured out and worked out to get baptized because baptism is not a symbol uh, of discipleship or spiritual growth. It, it's a symbol, it's a picture of salvation, of 
uh, dying to the old person, being raised to walk in the newness of life through the cleansing blood of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, you, you've received Christ, you're baptized, and then you're learning. But not just learning in head knowledge, teaching them to observe. You're learning in order to do what he's called you to do, to live in the way that he, he wants us to live. And so that's a picture uh, of, uh, of a disciple in, in, in a biblical sense. But again, the church is the missionary, and so the idea is we're to be disciples then who make other disciples. And you see, that's where multiplication kicks in. Because, you know, you, you can have ten people make a profession of faith, but if nothing else happens, that's just addition. But if someone reaches someone who reaches someone who reaches someone who reaches someone or someone disciples someone who disciples someone who disciples someone who disciples someone or if someone you know trains someone who trains someone who trains uh, someone, then over time, that becomes exponential. It becomes explosive. And that's multiplication growth instead of addition growth. And that's all of us, though. Again, the church is the missionary. So what, what does this look like at, at, at True Life? Well, you know, something that I, I don't teach the membership class anymore. Uh, you know, it's going on right now. I think Roger's leading today's session. But um, the way I always said it in the membership class is that we are the evangelism program of True Life Church. We are the outreach program of True Life Church. It's not a program, really. It's people. It's us wherever we are, you know, where God puts us, the people he puts in our lives, being bold enough to pray for those people and to ask God to give us opportunities and to take advantage of those opportunities to tell people about Jesus, to invite them to church, to minister to them in some way. It's, it's all of us doing that. You know, it's the idea, who's your one? Who's God put in your life? It's us, you know, discipling other people. It's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be some formal kind of church thing. I mean, I mean, there's a place for that, but it can be organic. I mean, do you know somebody that's struggling that you could reach out to? Do you know somebody who's a believer, who's hungry, that you could spend some time with, that you could teach them something, that you could share with them, encourage them? It could be somebody at your work, somebody in your family, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in the church. Um, it, it's all of us working together. It's us serving our community through our church, uh, through our small groups. It, it's us doing church planning, you know, locally. You know, there's international fellowship. There's Children of Christ, which is the Micronesian congregation. Um, and, you know, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth to reach every tribe, people, tongue, and nation anymore. I mean, that's the reality uh, of it. Um, you know, there's new creation, the, the church plant in Morristown. There's people that we've sent out from True Life, uh, you know, sending people out into ministry like David Robinson, Acts Church in, in Washington. Uh, you know, there, there's a ministry in, in, in Honduras, and, you know, a lot of you are familiar with that. Uh, just in case you're not, quickly, we'll show you just a, a slide here that kind of gives an overview of it. I mean, the, it's, it's a partnership with some churches there, some par- churches here. Um, 
you know, the name of it is MEPI, which is an acronym. It's really a Spanish acronym that doesn't translate real well into English. And uh, I, I won't, I mean, I know the words in Spanish, but I won't embarrass myself with my bad Spanish pronunciations. Uh, the English version of it is Evangelical uh, Ministry of Church Planting. But, uh, uh, you know, basically, church planting is the end goal of it. And so, you know, supporting pastors, working with pastors, a lot of that, you know, if you were here two or three weeks ago after I got back from Honduras and, you know, we showed some pictures online, just, you know, the first graduation from the training center, you know, about the pastoral side and, and the church side uh, of that, uh, you know, the first 34 graduates of that, the idea to develop leaders. And, and there's literally now hundreds of people in that pipeline. Uh, it's, it's in Guatemala uh, and spreading to other countries in the in the foreseeable future, which we're really uh, excited about. Encourage you to pray uh, for that. And, you know, if, if, if you wanted a giving opportunity at some point, I mean, if God has blessed you with some substantive financial means, something you could do is you could sponsor one of those training centers and see pastors raised up, and, and, and which is a foundation of planting churches, you know, for years and years to come. You know, there's boys and girls clubs that uh, we have a lot to do with here at True Life. And then there's some other ministries like the Dental Bus, uh, you know, some sustainability projects to try to, you know, create, uh, you know, business for them and those kind of things. But then, you know, maybe you've heard us mention, you know, for a long time, we, we've said we we're going to focus on one place until we got to a place where we felt like that we as a church had the capacity uh, to expand that. And, uh, you know, we're at that place we feel like now, and God's opened some doors, and you know we've not gone there specifically for this. I mean, we have some individuals who've been to Uganda in in, in the past, but uh, you know God's given us the opportunity, and we have the Bible Training Center here at True Life, and it's uh, you know a branch of that opening in Morristown next month. But we've had the opportunity to spread that uh, to Uganda. And there's a program in Lira, Uganda. There's a program in Kampala, Uganda, uh, which is the second one, which these are some students from that. And they just recently completed their, um, their first class in this second training program. It's a real life-on-life kind of thing. And so these are the people who have completed that first class. But, you know, the, the coolest thing about it is one of the ladies actually learned that she had never actually been saved in going through this class and got saved. And her and one of the other ladies who had, was a Christian but had never been baptized, uh, you know, got baptized recently. And they've been going out and doing door-to-door visitation, and they've seen four professions of faith. It's multiplication. It's the ends of the earth. That's what God has called uh, the local church uh, to do. You know, it, it's our goal at some point, uh, you know, to be able to kind of adopt and minister and work uh, with some missionaries and reaching an unreached people group uh, somewhere in the world. And, and I, I would say, uh, you know, thank you for your financial generosity. I mean, that's a way that our church has really grown uh, tremendously over the last few years. And so, again, this is not consecutive, it's simultaneous. And, and through that, you know, we've been able to expand what we're doing in missions out there and be been able to expand the ministry of true life in here uh, at, at the same time. And so, again, thank you for your generosity. And, you know, we don't say a lot about giving because we believe, you know, giving is just an overflow of the heart. It's, it's a generous response to the grace of God, to the God who's been so generous to us and giving us the indescribable gift of his son. And so we're not interested in browbeating people into giving. But, you know, I would encourage you, uh, sometimes we don't say enough about it, if you want to give, there's offering boxes in the back of the room there 
by the doors. You can give online. Something that um, you might want to think about or pray about. And, you know, we, we did this uh, during COVID when Honduras was locked down. You know, we, we took the Boys and Girls Club the club's operating budget when the clubs weren't meeting and put that into food distribution. And then we asked people to give on top of that and provided uh, a, a ton of meals through that. Um, we may need to do the same kind of thing in, in Uganda coming up. We'll share more as we have more details. But the American missionary that we're working with over there has used words like starve, malnutrition, things like that, you know, rationing meals because they're in a drought uh, they're in a COVID lockdown, and uh, you know we're putting kind of some extra money even into the next training classes to help with books and uh, you know food for those. Uh, we've tried to do this in a way we're not in, even investing a, a lot in it really financially at this point because we're not we're trying to not create dependency. But if we're working with people who are having trouble even eating. You know, we want to be able to help with that. So we're doing that at the moment. Uh, so if you want to give to that, there's a Uganda uh, tab or, or, or line designation within our online giving. And like I said, we may have, probably will have more information about that in the coming weeks for some ways that we can serve and, and, and help there. So that is our mission, though, to make disciples of all the nations. But three, we need to see that our mission is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, Acts 1a says you should receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In, in Acts 4.31, it says when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when you read through the book of Acts, you see this emphasis continually on the working of the Holy Spirit. Some people, and, and you know, the, the, the name of the book is not inspired, but like if you go in the front of your Bible or in, in the front of the book of Acts, like in, 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 when I look in mine, it says the Acts of the Apostles, right? That's not inspired, though. That's not in the text of Scripture. It really probably ought to say the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the early church. That's probably a better name for it. And, and so what I'm saying today is if we want to, Complete the mission of God. It's going to be the Holy Spirit working through His church today. It's supernatural. It's not something that we can accomplish on our own. That's the reality of it. Um, now, most of you all know Leanne Phillips, our wonderful children's minister. Leanne is like the sweetest, most servant-hearted person you'll ever meet. Yeah, I mean, she's awesome. She's a blessing to have. Well, one day we were having staff meeting, and the power went out. And after a while, it started getting warm, and somebody said something about it. So Leanne, being the servant-hearted person that she is, said, oh, I'll go turn the air conditioner down. And just, you know, that's just Leanne. She's going to help people, kind of not thinking that the power was out. And so we're like, well, Leanne, that's probably not going to work right now. It's not, it doesn't do a whole lot to adjust the thermostat when there's no power. But I think a lot of times that's how we function as a church. We're, as churches, we try to, you know, adjust the thermostat when we're not connected to the power source. And so if we're going to fulfill the mission of Christ, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me brings forth much fruit, but without me, you can do nothing. What we do flows out of who we are, which flows out of our connection with Christ. Are, are we walking in the Spirit? Are we filled with the Spirit? Are we abiding in Christ? If so, He's going to produce fruit through us, 
But if not, it doesn't matter what we try to do. It's not going to be effective in a spiritual sense. So that leads into number four, and that is that our mission is fueled by prayer. Acts 1.14 says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is Acts 1. There's 120 people praying in an upper room. What happens in Acts 2? 3,000 people get saved when God sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Again, it's a thread running through the book of Acts that what they depended on uh, was prayer. You see in Acts chapter 4, uh, they're being persecuted. They've, they've, uh, and, and when the authorities let them go, uh, they went back, Acts 4.23, went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And so when they heard that, it says, They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, What did they do? What was their response to persecution? It was prayer. Prayer fueled everything that they did. And I believe, you know, our world's a train wreck right now. But that creates an opportunity. But it's not an opportunity that can be fulfilled in the natural. Supernatural. It's spiritual warfare. If, If we want to see... You know, the church be revived. We want to see spiritual awakening in our country, in our world. We want to see things change. It comes out of the power of the Holy Spirit, which we experience through prayer. That's why, you know, we've mentioned this a little bit, but uh, starting on August the 24th, Tuesday mornings at 7, Wednesdays at noon, we're just going to open up the church and we're going to gather in here and just have a time, an opportunity for whoever wants to come. And I understand, you know, certainly not everybody can come. Maybe you can pray where you are if you can't come at those times. But we're just going to open up the church and gather to pray for revival, for spiritual awakening, for our missions, for our missionaries, for God, for just a mighty move of God. I mean, at some point, I think the church in the United States, we've got to decide if we're going to whine about what's going on around us, or if we're going to get desperate enough to seek God with all of our hearts, to see Him do what only He can do. Number five, our mission is centered in the proclamation of the gospel one-on-one and to large groups. Um, Again, who's your one? And uh, we're not going to look at a passage here because we don't have. We can spend the rest of the day on this. But I found in, in, in going through this, and I may have missed some, that in the 28 chapters of Acts, there's at least 25 passages where they're proclaiming the gospel either to somebody one-on-one or to some kind of group of varying sizes. At least 25 times in 28 chapters. Our mission, again, is centered in the proclamation of the gospel one-on-one into large groups. So, again, who's your one? Who are you telling Jesus about? I mean, uh, once again, if, if, if I said, okay, this is the Great Commission, this is what Jesus called us to do, every Christian in the room is going to say amen. But what are we actually doing with it? That's the question. Who are we trying to reach? And that probably leads into number six, which in, uh, in, in a lot of ways may be the most important one here, that we get this as a, as a conviction. And that is our mission is the responsibility of every believer. So if you would consider yourself today a follower of Christ, do you actually see yourself as a missionary? 
you know, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. So there's a sense in which if we're not fishing, we're not following. Do you see your life as being about the mission of Christ? Now, some people just like, ah, I'm going to do my thing, I don't care. Those people probably aren't even saved. Some of you, though, may be like, well, I just don't know if I can. I'm telling you, you can. You have the same Holy Spirit that the most famous preacher or evangelist or uh, that the Apostle Paul had. Or sometimes Christians, I think, are like, uh, yeah, I'm all about that. That's great. You're excited. You're clear, cheering, clapping when somebody gets baptized or you hear a report from a mission trip. But you're like, well, that's for somebody else. I'm saying it's for you. Let me show you this in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 8 is the follow-up to Stephen being martyred, being killed in Acts chapter 7. And it says there that Saul, you know, became Paul, was consenting to his death. And then notice the next sentence. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Now, remember Acts 1.8. You should be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, but where else? Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But at this point, the church was only in Jerusalem. I want you to understand God used persecution for a purpose, to scatter them, to get them to fulfill the Great Commission. Verse 2 says they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But then notice this phrase, except the apostles. Now, why is this important? That means that the apostles, the pastors in a sense, stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else scattered, went other places. Now, that would be like for true life. Now, I'm not saying we're not apostles, but uh, just take our pastors. Take me and Roger and Rusty and Preston, Philip, maybe throw in the staff. Like, let's say persecution comes to Jefferson City. So like we're in hiding somewhere, everybody else is running, you scatter, then what happens? What would you do? Well, here's what they did. It says, devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. But it says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. But they weren't the pastors. But they went everywhere proclaiming Jesus. And if you read the rest of Acts chapter 8, there's a, there's a great revival, great work of God in, in Samaria. A bunch of people get saved. They plant a church there. But then it, it doesn't stop there. Let's fast forward to Acts chapter 11 because these, he's kind of coming back to something. These two things are dovetailing together. It says, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over, over Stephen. So we're talking about the same people, Right? Uh, at the beginning of Acts 8, here in Acts chapter 11, it says, They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, who were Greek-speaking Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. And it says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now, I won't read the rest of the passage for time's sake, but basically what happened is these people were further spread. They're proclaiming Jesus. A bunch of people get saved. They plant a church there at Antioch that in a lot of ways becomes one of the model churches in uh, the, the New Testament. And if you read further, if you go 
to Acts, at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, this church was established. They had elders. As the elders were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and, and told them to send out Paul and Barnabas on what becomes uh, what's known as the first missionary journey, where they go and they plant a bunch of churches. Where did this come from? It didn't come from pastors. It didn't come from professional career ministers. It came from everybody else. The mission belongs to all of us. But I think here's what we have to wrestle with. True story. A a pastor shared um, about a couple who lived in the suburbs of of Washington, D.C., and attended his church, right? I guess we're like members of the church. And one day they, they came up to him and, and asked if they would help, if he would help their daughter who felt called to go somewhere in the world and, and, and be like a full-time career missionary. And, and, and the pastor was excited. Uh, you know, he was happy to hear this. You know, things, God's working. And, uh, you know, he's like, that's wonderful. You know, what can we do to assist her? How can we help her uh, on this journey that God's calling her to? And the parents are like, hang on, you're, you're, you're not understanding us. The way we want you to help her is by helping us to, quote, talk her out of ruining her life. Now, if like they were atheist and, and she was a Christian, that would make sense. But these are professing Christians. But you know what? There's a lot of professing Christians that what they want is just enough Jesus to get them to heaven and to make their life comfortable right now. But that's not Christianity. If we're a follower of Jesus... We're called to be on this mission with Jesus, every one of us. Every one of us has a role to play. Number seven, our mission is rooted and grounded in the health of the local church. See, I want us to see that what we do here and what we do out there aren't in competition with one another. They're designed to work in concert with one another. See, when you give, you're a part of making disciples of Christ. Our worship leaders are a part of making disciples of Christ. The people in the nursery right now changing diapers are a part of making disciples for Christ because they're enabling people uh, to hear the, the gospel. Our online production team is a part of that. People who make our greeters who make people feel welcome uh, when they come. It's all of us working together in here and out there are not in competition with one another. They're in concert with one another. And so... He says in Acts chapter 2, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In other words, again, the mission is to make disciples of Jesus. But it takes all these things working together 
worship and teaching and, and, and unity and, and generosity and, 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 and discipleship and, you know, just all of these things together. So again, like I did last week, I would just encourage you, if you're not plugged into a small group, plug into a small group. We need each other. We need to live in community. If, if you're not serving, use your gifts in serving, whatever those gifts are, however God has wired you. It might be to teach. It might be to lead a small group. It might be to work with kids. It might be to work with teenagers or young adults. Or maybe you're like, you know, I'm not a people person. I'm a technology person. That could be in the production room. Could be, I like to work with my hands. It could be the building uh, maintenance team. Those kind of things. You know, there's just something about, again, when we're a, a participant in the mission of Jesus, instead of just being a church spectator, that does something to transform us, and it blesses the body of Christ, and it's a part of reaching people for Christ at the same time. Uh, number, number eight. Our mission is about multiplication instead of addition. I talked about that before. Uh, Acts 9.31 says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The goal is to be spiritual edification, to be built up, and then outward multiplication. Nine, our mission results in the planning of healthy New Testament churches. Um, you know, people... May think, well, you know, why do you all invest so much in missions and church planning? You know, people in the past could have said, you know, early on, because, you know, we've been doing this since about year two of the church. You know, why are you spending money on church plants when you don't have a building yourself? Or people could say, now you need a bigger building. Why don't you spend money on that instead of on church planning? The answer is very simple. You cannot be a New Testament church without planting other churches. I mean, again, you read the book of Acts, you know, I referenced Acts chapter 13 and them sending Paul and Barnabas out. What came from that? Well, if you read on, in Acts chapter 14, they planted churches and cities including Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. In, in chapter 16, Galatia and Philippi. In chapter 17, Thessalonica. In chapter 18, Corinth. In chapter 19, Ephesus. It is the, the end result of New Testament missions. It is part of being a New Testament church is that we reproduce ourselves, that it's multiplication, it's not addition, and this comes through the planting of churches out of making disciples for Christ out of training and, and raising up uh, leaders. And then the last one. And, and maybe in a lot of ways, this and number six, and I said number six is a mission belongs to, to all of us. And then number 10, maybe this is what it boils down to because what do we believe about this? Our mission is worthy of us fully giving our lives to it. Our mission is worthy of us fully giving our lives to it. Or maybe in a way, the better way to say this is our mission is worthy of us fully giving our lives to the one who gave it. That's really what it boils down to. Is, is Jesus worthy? And I think it also boils down to, again... Do we want just enough Jesus to get us into heaven and to make our life what we want it to be now? Or do we really truly want to know Jesus as our Lord in a biblical sense? 
Because real Christianity is following Jesus wherever he leads us. Submitting to him as Lord and doing what he's called us to do. In Acts chapter 20, and this is the last scripture we'll look at. In verse 22, Paul here is addressing the church at Ephesus. Their leaders kind of bidding them farewell. And he says, I now go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. In other words, I'm going to have problems, pain. I'm going to be in prison, but I'm still going to go. I mean, how many of us could say that? But here's what drove him. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry, the mission, which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. You know, one thing about us having gone to Honduras so many times, and this was part of the idea, is you build relationships. I mean, some of my best friends live in Honduras. Um, and, you know, when you have relationships with people, you kind of have, like, inside jokes. You know what I'm talking about? You've got certain inside jokes in your family. Um, there's certain inside jokes here at True Life that people who have been around forever, you know, would, would, would get, but I'd have to explain to somebody else. Well, we have kind of a joke with Pastor Selvin in, in Rio Dulce, and... Um, you know, there's, there's a family there, and again, this is one of the cool things about having been so much, but there's a family there where um, there's a grandmother, I mean, mom, grandmother, her name's Norma. She has a daughter named Norma, which is a little different, you know, uh, like my son's a junior, we're kind of used to that, but, you know, they're both named Norma, and, and then uh, a daughter, Norma, uh, you know, has a, has a son, and uh, we've been blessed with the opportunity to see all three of those people come to Christ. I've gotten to baptize all three of them, which is pretty amazing that in a little village called Rio Dulce in Honduras, I've gotten to baptize three generations of people. You know, we talk about mission and the target for our lives. That's a whole lot better than what I thought my life should be about when I was running from God's call on my life. But anyway... The, the, the funny thing is, it's like Norma, the, the mom, the grandmother, was the first, the older one, was the first one to get, so she, got, she was like in her 70s when she became a Christian. But her daughter, Norma, she was like real hard and like and belligerent. And, you know, we go visit them some. And, and I remember one time, I don't know why, I was, I was like in the car, I think we were about to leave, and Pastor Selwyn was trying to talk to her. And like, you know... <laughs> My Spanish isn't great. I mean, I understand more than I speak. But sometimes if somebody's like ticked off, that transcends language barriers. Like you, you know somebody's mad even if you only understand a certain percentage of, of, of what they're saying. I mean, and she was ticked. We thought she was like going to kill Selvin. And uh, so we joke with Pastor Selvin that he was almost the first Mepi martyr. That, uh, you know, he was almost the first one in our ministry in Honduras to give his life uh, for the sake of the gospel. Because, I, I mean, like, he's just a little guy and she's like tall for a Honduran female. I, mean, I thought she was going to body slam him or something. I mean, that's really what it looked like. It, it, it was kind of funny. But, uh, but so, you know, we have that joke with him. But, you know, in a way it's not funny because the reality is 
there are huge numbers of Christians all around the world where martyrdom's not a joke. It's a possible reality in their lives. Or they know somebody who has. Or they're afraid of their family being abducted or that kind of thing. I mean, um, there, there are hundreds of thousands, millions of Christians, millions, that live with that reality. But they say Jesus is worth it. The mission's worth it. Now, if somebody walked in here with a gun right now, I can't say for sure how I would react. So I'm not like espousing martyrdom to us. But if we won't live for Jesus, why would we think we would die for him? Right? I mean, there's a lot of professing Christians in the United States that wouldn't walk across the street for Jesus or for the gospel or for the mission. There's a lot of professing Christians in the United States that are like that couple in Washington, D.C. It's like, rescue my daughter from this delusion of her wasting her life on being a missionary. Why? Again, there's a lot of people that want just enough Jesus to get them into heaven and make their life easy and comfortable. But can I tell you, that is not who he is. He is Lord. And if he's our Lord, we belong to him. And we're responsible to do what he's called us to do. And this is what he has called us to do. To make disciples of all the nations. And again, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not. Wherever you are, you could be a teacher, you could be a nurse, you could be a a dentist, you could be a lawyer, uh, you could work in a factory, you could be a stay-at-home mom. You're called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. It is all of us working together. It's us serving together to make this church the home base that it should be for us reaching the nations with the gospel. Are you doing your part? Are you giving? Are you serving? Are you plugged in? Are you in relationship with other Christians? What's God calling you to do? Maybe some of you, you genuinely need to commit your life to Christ. Maybe some of you need to go public with your faith and, and, and be baptized and publicly take that first step of obedience to your Lord and make that uh, public profession of faith. Uh, again, maybe some of you need to get plugged into a small group. Maybe some of you need to get plugged into a ministry. Maybe God is calling some of you to go somewhere as a missionary or as a church planner. Again, we belong to Him. It's up to Him what He does with our lives. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray that you would raise up people out of this church. God, to go to the hard places, to go to different places in the world, and to live out this mission that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you'd empower all of us to live it out right where we are. In Morristown or Jefferson City or Dandridge or Knoxville or wherever we live, wherever we work, with whoever we're around. Lord, give us the conviction that this is our mission. God, give us the assurance that we have the Holy Spirit to enable and empower us. God, use us. Make us fruitful for the glory of your name. 
Father, I pray that you would work through our church plants here, through the churches in Honduras, the training centers, the boys and girls clubs, this training in Uganda, and wherever else you would call us. God, to make disciples. God, I pray that you would bring about multiplication. Lord, that more and more people would meet Jesus. And Lord, I I pray that it, it, it wouldn't be about us, that people wouldn't... We can think about true life church, but people would, that, that you would be glorified because people are living out your mission, people are being discipled, the gospel spreading around the world. And that someday then we could be in heaven together and see what you've done and hear well done. Lord, this, this is your plan. Help us to function according to your plan. And I just pray that you would bless and use and empower and protect us as we do that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.